0: If you straggled in a little late, Stephen's not feeling too good today. So I got a text yesterday at four o'clock asking to preach. And what I love about God is he has the ability to take the interruptions in our life. He has the ability to take the moments that you're not expecting and use them for good. So whether you knew you were showing up at church this morning or not, I believe that God has something for you. And that whenever the word of God is open, God has the ability to speak. So today we're going to experience that. And I believe that God wants to do incredible things in you and through you. And I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do. So uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to be kind of going through two different passages. Uh, the first one is in Psalm chapter 139. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open Psalm 139. And uh, we're going to read verse 23. David is writing this. Last week, we actually talked about David. I had the opportunity to preach on David defeating Goliath and how God placed him in the position to defeat Goliath. And today, uh, we're going to talk about David and some of the prayers that he had in the midst of the struggles, the trials, and the challenges that he faced. So here's what he said in Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. We're going to focus on two words from this portion of scripture. The two words are are test me. Anyone here like taking tests? Last service, nobody raised their hand. Anybody? Okay, we're just going to assume a couple people are raising their hands. Again, nobody really likes taking tests, and it's really hard for this analogy, so thank you very much. Um, But if you imagine you did like taking tests, I have a couple friends who like taking tests, and I don't like them. Because in school, it was always a challenge to be around them because they were the type of kids that, that when you go into the classroom and there's supposed to be a quiz, but you're praying that the teacher forgets to give you the quiz, right? They were the type of kids that would sit in the front row and remind the teacher that there was a quiz. And like nobody likes those kids, right? So uh, I don't like those kids and I don't really like taking tests and I don't think anybody you know, really likes taking tests. That's why nobody rose their hand, which was great. And when we think about our life... For the most part, we like when other people have to take tests in some forms, right? I mean, think about it. You think about your favorite restaurant. You like that there's a health inspection test that they have to take, right? Like the raw chicken is not touching the vegetables. There's not moldy food. You do not want your favorite restaurant to show up on Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmares, right? Because there's a test. You like that your doctors are tested, right? You don't want to go up to your doctor share your symptoms, and for them to look at you and say, man, that is quite a conundrum. I'm going to go ahead and check out WebMD, and I'll be back in a second. (laughs) You don't want that. Like, as I get older, I am very grateful that people driving have to get tested. But sometimes I ask questions whether or not that's actually true when it comes to driving. Like, as I'm older now, you know, I'm almost 30 years old, I'm thinking, why don't we just raise that driver's age limit from like 16 to, I don't know, like 30? That'd be great. Like, that would be awesome. We like when people are tested because when we are tested, it reveals the knowledge or the strength of something. And today, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be tested when it comes to our faith because here's what I believe to be true. This is a quote from uh, Pastor Gregor Schell. It's actually our bottom line. So if you're taking notes, here you go. A faith that is tested can be trusted. A faith that is tested can be trusted. The problem is, many of us don't want to experience tests in our life. We want to live the most comfortable life possible, and I get that. Like, I have that desire. Wouldn't it be great if life was just always perfect? It was always comfortable. It was always up and to the right. That would be awesome, but that's not life. We all know that. And in the midst of whatever we're facing today, we all want to experience the comfort of life. We want to experience the benefits of life, but sometimes we don't want to experience the tests of life. And internally, I think what we can feel in the midst of that is that we don't feel at times that we're up for the test. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you looked at and you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can handle this new business. I don't know if I can handle this moment. I don't know if I can handle this relationship. I don't know if I can handle this problem. I don't know if I can handle this challenge. What am I going to do? Here's what I know about the leaders of this church, the elders of this church. Here's what I know about Stephen. They all want you to have a deep faith a strong faith, a faith that continues even when life is hard. They want you to have a faith that can be tested, and in the midst of your test, it can be trusted. So we're going to talk about what does it look like to experience that, because here's what I know about you as well. The people that inspire you the most are not people who live the most comfortable life. You don't look at people and say, man, they just, they've never had any problems. They're so inspiring. No, the people that inspire you the most are the people who look at a test, and they fight in the midst of it. They keep going, and they build up endurance and perseverance in the midst of it. And I believe that all of us want to get to the end of our life, and that's the type of life that we want to live. If the goal of our life is to avoid testing, we're going to miss out on the life that God has for us. And he wants to do something incredible through you. So if you're going through something hard today, I am glad you're here. You've picked the perfect message to be here. If you're not going through anything hard today and life is just perfect, we are glad that you're here as well, but you're probably gonna need this message in like a week, okay? So just tuck it away. My grandma, whenever I would connect with her, um, one of her favorite sayings, and it's not one of my favorite sayings, but it's one of her favorite sayings, she would look at me and she said, Josh, cheer up, it's only gonna get worse. And I'm like, there's a portion of that's true, but I don't really like that phrase because I don't want it to get worse. I want it to get better. And I believe things can get better. I believe our perspective is important in the midst of it, but there is a portion of truth in that statement. Things do get worse at times. Life is not always easy. Life is not always perfect. There are challenges when it comes to your life. So today we're going to talk about what does it look like to experience God in a way in the midst of whatever we're facing when it comes to the test. So David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Why does David pray this prayer? It's because David knew that testing reveals the strength of an object. If he wants to grow in his relationship with God, he has to have God test him and his thoughts. Thoughts are important because what we think about is vital. Right? Our thoughts lead to our actions, and our actions lead to our life, and David knows that in order for him to follow God more closely, he needs to, God needs to test his thoughts. Why? Because where you worry the most is where you trust God the least. What do you worry about? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up? What's the last thing you think about before you go to bed? What's the thing that just churns in your mind over and over and over again? Odds are, that's the area of life that you most desperately want control, and the reason you're worrying about it is because you don't have control. And when we don't have control, oftentimes it is a great litmus test of where our trust is. What are your fears? What is... What is it that you are worried about? I mean, some of you, you are worried about your kids. And, and, and when they're two and three, you have control over them. But when they're 30, you don't have control over them, right? They're making their own decisions. And you're a parent. You're called to steward that relationship. You're called to be proactive in the midst of that. But here's the thing. God loves your kids more than you love your kids. And there comes times where you have to just open up your hand and say, God, yes, I'm worried, but I'm just giving this to you. Some of you, maybe you're worried about your financial situation. Maybe you're worried about uh, when it comes to your occupation, title, whatever it is. The question is, how do we handle those situations? So the reason David says, test me in my know my anxious thoughts is because he understands what he thinks about is what he cares about the most. Pastor Tim Keller says this, what you think about when you have nothing to think about is your God. Think about that for a second, okay? What you think about when you have nothing to think about. When you have that like seven seconds to daydream in between the midst of the chaotic craziness of your life, that oftentimes is the thing that you care about the most. So for David, he wants to care about God more than anything because God created him and he loves him. So we see throughout the psalm, David writing and showing what does it look like to follow God. And here's what he says in Psalm 63, 6. He says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Like, when I'm up at night, I'm not thinking about my problems, I'm thinking about you, God. Now, if you read the rest of the Psalms, there's obviously times where David is journaling, and he's journaling some pretty specific stuff about his life at this moment. Because at this time, uh, he is running away from King Saul, who's trying to kill him, and he has a lot of worries. He has a lot of fears. He has a lot of challenges. It wasn't a perfect life. But he understood that in the midst of it, he wanted to experience God more. Another verse says this in Psalm 119, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I stay awake through the night, thinking about your promise. Can I challenge you for a moment? And it challenges me too, because it's really easy. The first thing you do when you wake up, what do you do? Like, it's very easy to grab your phone, to go to social media, to go to email, do whatever it is that you do, man. What would it look like? If this is the type of church where it's like we wake up and we pray first, even if it's for thirty seconds. Like the first thing I do when I wake up, I connect with God because there's importance of what you place first. And what you place first shows what you get most excited about and what you care about. So building up those rhythms, it's so important to connect. A vibrant prayer life is so important. Prayer is talking to God, and God wants to connect with you no matter what you're facing today. What you think about when you have nothing to think about shows what you truly care about. Now, I know for me, as a pastor, like, and, you know, if you don't know our story, we're moving in a month to Phoenix, Arizona uh, in July, which, again— interesting decision. It was 111 degrees there yesterday. It's just going to keep getting hotter and we're moving there in a month. And I know for us, we're we're thinking about this move. We're thinking about what we're going to do. We're excited about what God is going to do. But the challenge of any pastor or anybody who serves in ministry is you can be so focused on what you're pouring out to others that you forget about what you're pouring into yourself. This is not just a challenge when it comes to people who serve in ministry. This is a challenge for parents. This is a challenge in friendship. This is a challenge when you're a business owner. We can be so focused on what we're giving to others that we forget about what we need to place back in ourselves. That we need to be focused on our relationship with God because in the midst of our relationship with God, God wants to work in us and through us. We can't be so focused on what we want to do for others that we forget about what God wants to start with in us oftentimes, God can use tests to help us grow. And one of the things, and one of the ways that we see this, specifically, is you see this in Psalm, where David is speaking, but in an even clearer way, we see this in the book of James. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, you can go to James chapter 1 real quick, um, because what we see is that God has the ability to show us where our faith is when we experience testing. Now, the book of James, James is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? Who here would like to have Jesus as their brother? I don't would you? Like, I, I mean, that would be pretty cool, right? Like, you can raise your hands. On one end, that would be awesome, right? Like, your brother is the son of God. The other end, that would be really hard to compete with. Dude, you get an A minus, there's no way you're being Jesus. The guy's getting an A. Like, there's no way. So what's interesting about the story of James, and when you think about Scripture, and some of you, maybe you're walking in here and you're skeptical of faith, I just want to think about this letter, this book of the Bible. James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. What would your brother have to do to make, him make you think that he was the Son of God? Like, that's crazy. And what's even more interesting is that many scholars believe that James didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God when they were kids. Like, it wasn't until Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, till half brother James started following his brother Jesus. Now, James is a staple in the early church. He's leading the church in Jerusalem with the Jewish Christians. And James was passionate, and you can see through James chapter 1 through 5, that letter, it's not necessarily linear, okay? There's a lot of different subjects that James is talking about, and you can see the influence of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and also the influence of Proverbs in James' writing. What James was most passionate about in his writing was encouraging the Jewish Christians to not just say that they follow Jesus, But to live it out. Now I'd say when it comes to our relationship with God, it's very easy to come in on a Sunday to raise our hands to sing. It can be easy to share a YouVersion Bible app quote or a Bible verse on Facebook. But the question is, how are you treating the people who surround you? That when it comes to our relationship with God, our relationship with God oftentimes is shown through our horizontal relationships with others. So James is looking at these people and he starts off with basically saying, if we want to be different, if we want the world to look at us differently, we have to view testing differently. Because most Christians and all people view tests similarly and we have to have a different perspective. And our different perspective has the ability to help change this world because people are going to look at us like they're crazy, but they're also going to want it here's what it says in verse 1. It says that uh, this letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. So again, he's talking to the Jewish believers. He's basically starting off his letter, and here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. All right, if I gave you which you don't get this opportunity, you can't change the Bible. If I gave you the opportunity to write the next sentence of this scripture, what would you write? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, pray to God and ask him to take it away and he will do it in a second. Or, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, run away. Like, what would you like to see in that portion of scripture? It's probably different than what James wrote. Here's what he writes. And if you want to get mad at anybody, get mad at James. He says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for a great joy. Seriously, James? Seriously, man? And I imagine if you were, say you were getting coffee with James, you're sitting down, and he tells you this verse, and he's trying to encourage you. You would look at James and say, James, if you knew what was happening in my marriage... James, if you knew my in-laws, James, if you knew my neighbors, I have a newborn at home. They are doing fireworks at midnight. Opportunity for great joy? James, you are crazy. You see, for some of you, you're facing a test today. And you're just facing a challenge, okay? Maybe today you're single and you don't want to be. Or maybe you're experiencing some type of financial hardship or a complicated relationship. And I just want you to imagine this little, my stand here. This is what a lot of us do when it comes to the obstacles in our life. If we're standing here and we want to get here, here's what we do. The first thing sometimes we do is we pray and we ask God to remove the obstacle. Now, I don't have a problem with that prayer. Like, we want—you want to be a church that prays first, obviously. So, like, absolutely. Like, God, take this away. That is a great prayer. The problem is when we pray that prayer and God doesn't do it the way that we want him to do it, if our next response is to question God's goodness or to maybe even question his existence, that's a problem. It's like, God, why, why, why is this happening? Why is, now, why is not necessarily a bad question, but where you go from there is so important. For a lot of us, we ask God to remove the obstacle so we can get to the other side. And sometimes when God doesn't do it, what we decide to do is we decide to shortcut the process. If God's not going to remove it, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and get around this obstacle. And that's not what God has for us. That's not what God is calling for us in the midst of this. So, What I love about God is that no matter whatever you're facing today, he wants to help you experience joy. Now, some of you are facing something hard, and I am not trying to make light of what you're going through. I'm not saying that it's small. I'm not saying that it's minuscule. But we have the opportunity to experience joy whatever we're facing. Some of you may be thinking, should I celebrate that my wife left me? Or should I be happy that I lost a loved one? Should I celebrate that I can't have a child? No, that's not what I'm saying what I believe that James is saying is that we don't have to necessarily be joyful for the trial, but we can experience joy in the midst of the trial. That everything we face is an opportunity to see God move. Everything we face is an opportunity to experience joy. The verse continues, and this is what the joy that we can experience. For you know that when your faith is tested, because a faith that is tested can be trusted, your endurance has a chance to grow. So James is looking at all of us. Whenever you see that obstacle, whenever that thing comes up in your life, let's not necessarily view it as an obstacle. Let's view this as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for our endurance to grow. So instead of looking at this obstacle and trying to shortcut the process, instead of looking at this obstacle and shortcutting the process after we pray to ask God to remove it and he doesn't do it, Let's not question God's goodness, but let's ask God, what are you trying to do in the midst of this? How are you trying to work in me? How are you trying to work through me? What does it look like f- for me to experience you more in the midst of what I'm facing? mean, some of you, you're asking the question, why isn't God answering my prayer? Is he not answering my prayer because of, of what I've done? Is it because of my past? Is it because I'm not good enough? Is he trying to punish you, punish me. Like, what if the question isn't, why isn't God answering the prayer the way I want? What if it's, what is God trying to do in the midst of it? What if it's that God's not answering the prayer in the midst of this moment because he knows that if you continue to rely on him, it's gonna get you to the place that he wants you to go. That he wants to be a relationship with you forever. He wants to continue for, he wants you to continue to rely on him. I had a student when I was serving in student ministry and uh, I asked him where he was going to college. like i'm going to ohio state like dude awesome i'm a michigan fan but it's fine go ahead go blue and uh, he looks at me he's like i'm going to ohio state and i'm like that's great what are you going to study he's like well i'm actually going to be a third year during my first year because i did all these credits and he probably liked tests i did all these credits in high school so i'm in a really good position and i was like wow that was good that's really good you're gonna save so much money That's a great decision. So he walks away and I'm just sitting there like pondering my life at this point. And I'm like, why didn't I do that? Now I went to Ohio State as a Michigan fan, which is crazy in and of itself, uh, but let me take you to a moment. I was thinking, why didn't I do that? Like, why didn't I get all those credits so then I could be a third year when I was a first year? And then I thought to myself like, Josh, you know why you didn't do that. First of all, you're not nearly as smart as Gavin, but do you remember your last exam you took in high school? You see, I was taking a pre-calc exam. I was already accepted into Iowa State. It didn't matter what I got on this exam. The last exam that I ever took in high school, I got a 53%. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you get all this credit? I got a 53% on pre-calc. Like I wasn't faithful in the midst of that moment. And then I went to college and I struggled that first semester. Why? Because I wasn't faithful as an 18 year old in high school and that affected me when I went to college. You see, when it comes to the tests of our life, when it comes to these different areas of our life, for many of us, we want to be Gavin, who had like the AP Calc credit and all of this different things, but we're like Josh when it comes to our last test. We failed it because we weren't faithful in the midst of it. I mean, some of you, you want good health. You want an AP Calculus body, all right? But you don't exercise and the only foods you eat are tan. Chicken nuggets, hash browns. Like it's my 3-year-old's diet. That that's all she eats. If any of you have any tips of how to give her something green, let me know. She just doesn't eat it. Some of you you want AP Calculus credit in your bank account. But you just bought a car that you can't afford. Some of you you want an AP Calculus when it comes to getting married in the future. You're so focused on the person that you want. You're so focused on getting married that you're just choosing anybody and you're settling and God's looking at you and he's saying, the only validation, the validation that you're looking for is the only validation that I am going to give you. And if you take this step right now and you try to shortcut the process, you're gonna be lonelier then than you are now. And I wanna do something in you in the midst of it. Some of you, you wanna do great things for God. You wanna have AP Calc credit when it comes to your faith. But then a pre-algebra test comes up in life. And you're like, God, I'm out. If you've been dozing off because I've been talking about math for the last five minutes, come back. If you're frustrated right now, if you're struggling right now, I want to encourage you right now. What if God is telling you the reason that I'm not removing the obstacle is because if I did that, you may get to where you want to be, but you don't have the endurance stay there? What if the blessing you're asking for is actually going to be a curse because you are not ready? That your focus on the future is distracting you from what God wants to do in you and how that is going to prepare you for what he wants to do through you? What if God has something so great for your future that the only way you will experience it is how you handle the situation you're facing right now. Disaster follows when your desire takes you places that your endurance can't keep you. Some of the greatest gifts God is ever going to give you are unanswered prayers that protect you from the outcome you desire because you don't have the endurance yet that is required. When it comes to our life, there are two types of relief. God removes the obstacle or God strengthens you in the midst of the obstacle through his spirit. The verse continues on and it talks about the importance of the endurance. It says, so let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So we have a test. It can either be an obstacle or we can view it as an opportunity for joy because we are building endurance that is ultimately going to bring uh, to fruition completion or wholeness. That you are going to be spiritually matured. That you are going to be deep in your faith. Not because you have an insane amount of biblical knowledge, although it is very important to know scripture, but because of the way that you live your life. That's what James was so passionate about. He was so passionate about our faith through our actions and how that showed others what God was doing through us. See, God wants to use you where you are to make a difference. That's what we talked about last week. And God has the ability to do incredible things through you and in you. Is my prayer that you get to the end of your life and you think, man, God, I gave everything that I could give. That I surrendered everything to you. The question is, are we going to play the short game or the long game? Are we going to try to shortcut God's process and do it ourselves? Or are we going to truly believe that His way is better? The endurance that God has for you and the perseverance that God wants to create within you has the ability to help change you in the midst of whatever you're facing today. So the question is, where does it start? Because some of you are still looking at the situation that you're facing today, and you don't know what to do. And that's okay. That's why I love verse 5. This writing is incredible. The Bible's amazing. Here's what it says in verse 5. Think about it. Verse 2 through 4, very hard words to experience and live out. That's why he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Like, God is going to give it to you. God is going to give you the strength. The problem is, so oftentimes, when we experience uh, difficulty and challenges, God is not the first person we run to. Like, the first thing we do is we share it on Facebook or Instagram about how this thing is going poorly. Or maybe the first thing you do is you go to a friend. Now, friends are important, but the first person we're supposed to go to whenever anything happens in our life, the first person we go to is God. And what I love that it says is that, it says, ask our generous God. What is generosity? Generosity is giving more than what is required. God so loved the world that he gave. God wants to give you wisdom that whatever you're facing today, that he can help you through whatever it is. And when you start building up that endurance and you begin asking God for that wisdom, he is going to give it to you through his spirit. And this ultimately comes through prayer. This is why prayer is so important. Prayer not only connects our hearts to God, but it has uh, the ability to, through God's Holy Spirit, to help direct you in the direction that you need to go when you have questions and when you don't know what to do. Prayer is not the least we can do. It's the most we can do. Prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. Prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. Prayer gives us the courage to stay when it would be easier to run. Prayer gives us a depth and a foundation and a trust and a connection with God that helps trump our fear and worry in the midst of whatever we're facing. And prayer helps give us the strength through the Holy Spirit to keep going when it would be easier to quit. And some of you want to quit today. And if you want to quit, I just want to take a moment to encourage you. You're wondering, how long is this test going to be? How long is this going to last? How in the world am I going to get through it? And if that's you, here's what I want you to know. Is that oftentimes, the greater the testing, the greater the opportunity to increase your faith. That the deeper the pain you're facing or experiencing, the greater the comfort you're going to be able to provide someone who's going through what you're going through. The difficulty of the test, it is is foreshadowing the magnitude of what God wants to do in your life. God has never used anyone greatly who wasn't broken greatly who wasn't tested greatly. Go through every person in scripture and man, they were broken and they were tested. We think about David. He had a test of Goliath, he defeats Goliath. And then after that, he has another test where King Saul is trying to kill him. You think about Daniel, he's praying and then he gets thrown into the lion's dead for serving God and not the king. It's a test. We think about Abraham. He was asked to give up his son. And then in the last moment, God saves his son. And it's a foreshadowing of what was to come, that God was going to give his only son, Jesus. And instead of saving Jesus at the end, he willingly gave up his son for us. Think about the test that Jesus went through. Obviously, Jesus died on a cross for us, but think about the moment before. Think about the moment, right, the night before Jesus was sacrificed. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And in the midst of that moment, do you know what Jesus did? He's praying. He's praying. And as he's praying, it gets to the point where he's so stressed that he is sweating droplets of blood. Why was he sweating droplets of blood? Many of us would say it was because of the physical pain that he was about to experience. That he was going to be whipped, he was going to be lashed, he was going to be placed upon a cross. This was going to be excruciating. And there's a portion of that is true. true. But when I read and through the scholars that I've looked at and what I believe is that one of the main reasons that Jesus was sweating blood is because for the first time ever, it wasn't just the full uh, physical pain that he was going to face. For the first time in eternity, for the first time ever, Jesus was going to be separated from his father. The first time. So he's praying. What does Jesus pray? He says, God, if there's anything you can do, remove this obstacle. God, if there's anything you can do, please take this cup from me. But how does he finish the the prayer? Not my will, your will be done. So yes, we can continue to pray and ask God to remove the obstacle, but man, always finish our prayer. God, not my will, your will be done. Jesus eventually gets handed over uh, to the Roman guards. He gets sacrificed on a cross. He gets placed on a cross. And what does Jesus yell on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason God forsook Jesus in this moment is because he wanted you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you. The reason God turned his back on his son is so he could turn his face towards you and let you know how much he loves you. And that whatever you're facing today, he is with you and he's for you. That Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and it gets even better because eventually the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the grave. And that same spirit lives and dwells in you. And that's the spirit who's going to help you get through whatever you're facing today. That's the spirit that helps us praise God and to sing and to worship him even when life is horrible. It's the same God that whatever you're facing today, you can look and say, God, I'm not excited about it. I'm not necessarily jumping for joy over it, but God, I know you have the ability to help us experience joy in the midst of that moment. So don't give up, don't quit. Keep moving, keep going. God is with you. He's living, he's dwelling inside of you. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus in James, James finishes off uh, us with this to encourage us. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, if you don't feel like you can keep going, God is with you. And know that this test you're facing is an opportunity to grow your endurance so that you can be made into completion. And know that your last breath on earth, your next breath in heaven, my goal for my life and my prayer for each and every one of you is that we will hear, well done, good, and faithful servant that we were faithful in the midst of whatever we are facing. And what I love about God is it says in Timothy that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. That is not about our own effort. It's about what he's done for us. So let's place our trust in that today. If you want God to work in your life powerfully this week, let's ask God to test us. God, test me and test my anxious thoughts and help reveal to me the areas of my life where I am not trusting you because in those areas, you have the ability to work. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for every person in this room. Whatever test we're facing today, God, I pray that we rely on you. I pray that we surrender everything to you. I pray that these tests help us grow in our endurance and our faith. I pray uh, that these tests, we would view them as opportunities to experience great joy. God, if there's someone in this room today who feels like giving up, they feel like being done, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would encourage them to know that there is a church here that wants to connect with them, that wants to help them. But even more than that, there is a generous God that wants to give them wisdom and strength today. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus. Thank you that he completed the mission of dying on a cross for us and being separated from you in those moments so that we could be reconciled to you, not only now, but for eternity. And we cannot wait for that. But we're going to continue to help bring heaven to earth now because our mission is not over. We want to love you wherever we go and we want to display your name wherever we are. We pray this in the powerful, amazing name of Jesus and the church said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.